Hi everyone, welcome to One New Man Ministries. We are in Ephesians 2 ministry and want to wish you an early happy 4th of July Independence Day for the United States of America, one nation under God, and we're praying for revival in our country, that we return to the roots of this country, that we are one nation, one people under God through Yeshua for uh, Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we just pray that through our ministry, through studying the Old Testament and the New Testament together, that, that we can all be one body of believers and we can understand God's plan for redeeming a people for himself so that we can have his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So what are we studying today, Jerry? Our Torah portion covers the story of Balaam, also called Balaam, um, and how he was called by the king of Moab, Balak, to come and curse the people of Israel. It has that famous story embedded in it about the donkey who uh, talked to Balaam. And uh, what we see as we read through the story, though, is as many times as Balak, the king of Moab, desired Balaam to curse the people of Israel, uh, he returned a blessing instead. Uh, what we are also looking at is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 31, a discussion about wisdom and uh, the message of the cross and how those two things uh, go together. And we want to look at that uh, in terms of the Balaam story. Uh, we'll see why in a moment. And then uh, the Haftorah portion, the portion from the prophets is from uh, Micah and includes that famous, famous verse, uh, what does the Lord require of you but to uh, love God, do justice, uh, love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with your God. Uh, so there's quite a bit of good ground to cover, uh, and uh, I think maybe we can just jump right in uh, to talk about 1 Corinthians a little bit first and then work backwards to Balaam's story. How does that sound? Yeah. Yes. So... <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing to these people in Corinth. There's a lot of uh, problems that he's going to address throughout the letter. Uh, the first one is about divisions in the church. And this is his answer to divisions in the church uh, when he begins to talk about, in verse 18, Christ being the uh, wisdom and the power of God. Uh, it says in verse 18, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So uh, opposite of folly, it's wisdom, and to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God. So there's the, that combination of wisdom and power. Uh, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And this is the verse that, uh, when we get back to it, is going to bring us to Balaam because, in fact, Balaam thought he was uh, going to be very wise and shrewd, and God thwarted him at every turn, right? So 1 Corinthians goes on, Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. If we compare this little section to Romans chapter 1, that also talks about this idea that the world thought it was so wise in rejecting God and going their own way, and God gave them up to the terrible consequences of their choices. They thought they were being wise, but they traded wisdom for foolishness. And this is what he's talking about. Now, also, God in his omniscient wisdom 
knowing all things says, okay, if you think that that's going to satisfy you and turn out well for you, I'm going to allow you to do that. But he says he turned that wisdom upside down. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach. So the world looks at what we preach and calls it foolishness. But God uses that air quotes here, foolishness, to actually prove his wisdom. Amen. So it's important that we understand what he is talking about here, the word of the cross or the folly of what we preach. The folly of what we preach is, he goes on, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. So there it is. The message of the cross, the folly that we preach is Christ, Messiah, anointed one of God, right? Crucified. And the stunning horror and paradox of that phrase for somebody in that culture, we can't even begin to grasp it, I don't think, because crucifixion was reserved for the vilest of criminals, the, the worst offenders. It was meant to completely humiliate and degrade. And to think that God not only would allow his anointed one to be crucified, but that it was his plan to From have him crucified. This is just mind-blowing. It is. From the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Just mind-blowing. And here's, here's what he calls it then. This preaching is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And if we look at those words in the Greek, the stumbling block in Greek is a scandal, the word that we get scandal. And it is folly. The Greek word there is the word that we use today as moron, moronic. We understand why it's folly to the Gentiles. It just seems so so absurd that you would say that this one hanging, this, this defenseless one, this one who clearly has been dominated by the state, who has no control or power at all, how could you say that he would be the anointed one of God? But here's where, why it's a scandal to the Jewish people. Remember that in Deuteronomy 21, 23, and Paul quotes this in Galatians also, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The curse of God is on anyone hung on a tree. So you're trying to tell me <laughs> that my Messiah is actually cursed by God? How does that go together? And yet this is the wisdom of God that men can't comprehend without the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, that God laid on him, not the curse that he deserved, but the curse that he willingly took for our sin. Yes, you know, Jerry, I, I, I was on both sides of that coin at, at one time. You know, before I accepted Christ when I was 23, I thought it was foolishness. But then afterwards, then afterwards, I realized the wisdom and, and the knowledge behind my, you know, the decision I made to accept Christ. Mm -hmm. And that, I can, you, we can see both sides of this. So if anybody's out there listening and you've got an emptiness inside of you, he is the answer. You know, you might think the, the, the Bible and some of those laws are foolishness. It's not. They stood, the st they stood the test of time. Right, right. Yeah, we want to make it clear that uh, this is a, a, a situation about sin. And God saw that sin separated us from him. Yes. And God was not content to be separated from his creation. How can God reconcile creation back to himself and still be a just and righteous God who judges and does not let sin just slide and say, oh, okay, you, you, you did this, you did that, that's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. But how can I, how, how can God work out a way in which he can judge the sin and still free the sinner? And that is to have someone else pay the price of the sin. And now, we are called upon to act in faith that my sin has been dealt with sufficiently, efficiently, eternally in the death of Jesus on the cross, and the eternal life that he gives is brought to me by his resurrection. Amen. Amen. Right? Yes. 
So this is the whole complex of the of the preaching that Paul's talking about, the folly of the cross, the word of our preaching. Christ crucified. I determined not to know anything else among you except Christ crucified. You know, <clears throat> I think the part that's important there is he's also contrasting ways of knowing because he says there are <clears throat> for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified mm -hmm. and he's earlier he says he says that uh, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe so like you were saying Jerry this is a matter of you can't learn it from signs wonders miracles you can't learn it through wisdom this is a matter of faith belief faith using one's will to believe in God to believe in Christ crucified that God's plan for redemption is through his only begotten son begotten of the spirit incarnate in the body who could pay the price of atonement for our sins and through his resurrection could open the way be the way for us to be a new man and to have new life mm -hmm. and it's through belief in that that it becomes available to each of us because we're creating the image of God and this is God's plan for redeeming us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Good point. Uh, and Lee, I couldn't, you know, it just brings back memories, of course, of my previous life before I knew, knew Jesus. But also, also what I like about this is God initiates all of it. It comes from him. For his love, for his creation, to like you said, Jerry, to be reconciled back to him, and I think that's it's all about his love and for us that he does this for us. Amen, amen. So here's something to think about: uh, Jews require a sign, and we've talked about this before. The fact is that Jesus on the cross is a sign, right? Uh, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up, and everyone who looks to me will, will be saved. So here is, here is a sign, if you will. Uh, and again, it's about interpreting the signs correctly, and that interpretation has to come to us by the Spirit. Without the Spirit, we just don't understand the sign. And the same way in which I think there's a wisdom built into the Scripture that without the Spirit's enlightenment, we don't get. And, and I think that's going to be important when we look at Balaam, mm -hmm. because uh, in this in the story of Balaam, you know, and Balak is looking for, you know, a sign, wisdom without his heart and without Balaam's heart being, you know, with God. And God knows where our hearts are, and that's what he cares about. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, let's just look at the rest of this passage, because it's so wonderful uh, in 1 Corinthians. To those who are called, this is verse 24 of chapter 1, though, but, the, so, again, talking about this, this air quotes again, foolish message, it's, it's a scandal to the Jews, it's moronic to Gentiles, but to those who are called, out of Jews and the Greeks, another term for all the, all, the, all the nations, the Gentiles, this message is Messiah, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Oh, my. To those who are called. And I used to go and uh, lead a Bible study with some young men down in the uh, juvenile detention center. And so many times young men would say, well, that just doesn't make any sense. And the biblical answer to that is, no, it's not going to make sense until you receive Messiah. Amen. Then all of a sudden it's like the, 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 the one piece that lets everything else fall into place, right? Right. Then it's just, oh, wow, wisdom and power of God, wisdom and power of God to those who are called, no matter what your, your, your uh, fleshly uh, 
status is, whether you're Jew or Greek, Paul will also say in another place in Galatians, male or female, slave or free, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what, what level or strata of society you've been born into, doesn't matter what your ethnicity or skin color, none of that matters. If you are called, this message is the power and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. If there is any foolishness of God, this is obviously a, a hypothetical. But even if there was foolishness in God, it would be so much higher than our own wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than men, the same thing. Then he asks us to think about ourselves. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We had nothing to boast about. Nothing. We had no no high standing. Uh, and he says not many. So there will be some in the kingdom of God who did have what we might call a relatively high earthly status, and yet they were humbled enough by God to bow down at the cross, right? Uh, but here's his point. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him, that is because of God at work in us through the Holy Spirit, we are now in Christ Jesus. Here's the new man. We are united to Messiah now. He is the head. We are the bodies. Various members, as he'll talk about later on in Corinthians, we all have different gifts and different roles, but we're all one body. Jew and Greek up here, right? Jew and Gentile. All one body. We are now in Christ Jesus, who has become to us the wisdom from God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, we're asking to, to have the mind of Christ when we ask for wisdom. He has become to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Everything that we could possibly need in our spirit life, in the life with God, it is already done and accomplished and given to us in and through our connection to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, our head. He is the body. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Good. Later on in this same letter, Paul will say, I don't have anything that wasn't given to me, right? And that's where we are. That's where we are. Everything of value, everything that's going to survive our physical deaths, right? Naked we came into the world, and naked we're going to go out. But everything of value about us that survives that experience, that, inter that has already been connected to the eternal life of Messiah, the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption, all of those things are from God. Isn't Amen. that great? You know, and, and you mentioned, Jerry, how without Yeshua, without the Messiah, our Savior, we can't really understand the wisdom of God. And when you accept him, it like unlocks wisdom of God that's in the scripture mm -hmm. and we were talking about that last week with regards to the red heifer and you know how um, you know it's a mystery to the rabbis because you can't really understand how the ashes of a red heifer mixed with living water can redeem those who have touched death it doesn't make sense right mm -hmm. well I think similarly without understanding Yeshua and without understanding that it's through faith and belief that in Yeshua and it's through the knowing that I as a sinner need atonement for my sins I I need a savior and I need salvation Amen. to to for the veil to be torn so I can you know be reconciled with God 
I, I think without that humility that there's the danger of someone like Balaam. So here you go. I'm going back to saying <laughs> that when we, when without understanding Yeshua, it's hard to understand why Balaam gets so much real estate in the Torah. And, you know, we're going to get to that in a little bit, you know, but... Mm. I think he, he, in a way, is being pointed out as a false prophet. So, Yeah, um, I want to go back for one second. I realized uh, we had this discussion last week about the red heifer, mm-hmm. and we probably should have explained that a heifer is a female cow that has not yet given birth. So for all of you who are wondering what a heifer was and you didn't grow up on a farm or you didn't know somebody who did, a heifer is a female cow that has not yet given birth. So they had to find a red heifer uh, without a single white hair. So clear that up for everybody. Um, yeah, if, if uh, you want to take going back to uh, verse 19, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. If you want to take that as a jumping off point uh, to begin to talk about uh, Balaam, uh, here was a man who was recognized in his society, and I'm not sure how many other societies, but he was uh, recognized as someone who had spiritual power. And that's kind of what we're tossing back and forth in some of our conversations, what what is the source of the power? Uh, The scripture says in chapter we're going back now to numbers chapter 22 the scripture calls him uh well let me let me, let me actually yeah. read what the scripture says well, but before you do that create the tell our listeners the context of the story we're talking about what's going on here and balak something okay Balak. well i was going to say why why balak uh called him so uh, the Israelites have now uh, been back on the march uh, in our previous reading uh, with the red heifer. We said 38 years passed from the time of that ordinance being given to the death of Miriam. And so now with Miriam's death, uh, Moses uh, strikes the rock and he's prohibited from entering the promised land. But the people are on the march and they uh, encounter some Amorite kings uh, Amorites are part of the uh, group of people that were living in the Promised Land. Uh, these were over on the east side of, uh, of the Promised Land, and they have defeated the Amorite kings. Uh, they've been prevented from going up through uh, Edom, which was a country inhabited by their near relatives, cousins. Uh, they were uh, told not to attack Moab, which was also a country of near relatives. Uh, however, uh, these Amorite kings, Sion and Og, uh, they, they were attacked and defeated. And so now Israel is camped in such a way that Balak, the king of Moab, uh, can see them spread out. It's a huge, huge horde of people. We're guessing two to two and a half million people are, are, are camped out uh, on these plains. And it's very unlikely that the whole population of Moab came to anything close to that. So in chapter 22, at the very beginning, it says, Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all Israel had saw what Israel had done to the Amorites, that is the Sion and Og, in defeating them, and they were in great dread of the people, that is the Israelites. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. So they said to the elders of Midian, so Moab uh, calls out to another group of people, the Midianites, and if my memory serves, Midian was a son of Abraham's concubine after Sarah died, I think. I'd have to check that, but I think that's, that's, that's the case. Uh, this horde will now come and lick up all the ground. So Belak, who was king of Moab, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. And he said to them, a people has come up out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. They're dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. So here's the part I was trying to get to. 
is he has a reputation as some kind of spirit man, some man of God, some man of a God, you know, however you start to understand that, because Balak says to him, I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So whatever word Balaam uh, speaks over various people, uh, he has a reputation that, that comes to pass. Okay? So it says then the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And so this is where it gets dicey about who, who is Balaam, what's the real nature of his character, because it goes on, it says... Uh, when, when these the, they, they, they sent the emissaries, they, they have the fees to pay him off, and Balaam Bel, Bel, says to them, stay here tonight and I'll see what Yahweh, right? What Yahweh speaks to me, the Lord. So he names Israel's God, which we know and understand is the one true God. He says, I'll see what Yahweh says to me. And then verse 9, God came to Balaam. Uh, Elohim here. Verse 10, Balaam said to Elohim again. Uh, and verse 12, Balaam, uh, God tells Balaam, Elohim. So all through here, then in verse 13, go to your own land for Yahweh has refused to let me go with you. So, so he goes and he asks Yahweh, should I go with them? And Yahweh says, no. And the emissaries go back and they take the message to Balak, the king, and he says, well, send more money and send people of higher rank. And maybe he'll be impressed enough by, by, by these people that he'll come back with you. And so uh, verse 15, once again, Balak sent princes, more in number, more honorable. They came to, Balak, to Balaam and they gave him the same story. And he tells them the same thing. Uh, <clears throat> well, here's what he says. Uh, I'll... Sh Balak says to you, verse 17, I'll do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I'll do. Come curse this people for me. <laughs> Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of Yahweh my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Again, Yahweh, God came to Balaam at night and said, If they have come to call you, rise and go with them only do what I tell you so the first question is about Balaam's character and this is you know a, 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 a live issue for for some reasons here in the text and then for sure how he's treated in the New Testament uh, when his name comes up so maybe we should look at those other New Testament references and bring that back into our discussion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think that would be good. And I just want to park a question for us to answer. And that is, <clears throat> they you, you mentioned that they had uh, a price. A fee of divination. A fee, mm -hmm. The fees for divination. Yep. So I wanted to unpack what is the difference between clearly prohibited sorcery, divination, you know, um, those sort of things. What's the difference between that and a prophet? Because, you know, here you're saying Balaam, he prays to God, God gives him some information, sounds... Yeah, so um, is it possible that besides trying to hear from the one true living God, he's also accessing some sort of occult spirits, the fees of divination, because divination is all about, you know, reading the omens, you toss bones and a variety of different ways in which people try to access and manipulate the spirit world, right? right. That's what divination is all about. So that's, that's what makes him this kind of murky character, right? And, so, and, and maybe that helps us understand how the New Testament talks about him because, well, instead of me saying right now, why don't we read those passages? Okay, and, and right before we do that, so I want to propose that maybe a difference between divination and prophecy has to do with 
the humility of the cross, the humility of the need for atonement. You know, like Isaiah uh, says, you know, that he's undone, you know? Mm -hmm. Am I... Am I getting that right? Yeah, woe is me, I'm undone. Woe is me, I'm undone. So, you know, it's the where is the heart? Where's Balaam's heart versus where are prophets heart? So let's right. let's now let's see what the New Testament says. So maybe if we could all look up a verse here. Yeah. Uh why don't you Lee look up Second Peter two fifteen? And, uh, Bob, if you'd look up Jude, uh, verse 11, Jude only has one chapter, and I will look at Romans, t or Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, and hear what the various New Testament writers are saying about him. And I think it's important as we're turning to those passages that uh, the writers, uh, Peter and Jude and John, are all first century Jewish people who are thinking about Balaam from uh, the cultural, rabbinic, societal, legendary milieu, you know, uh, that they've grown up in. Uh, just like we have stories uh, in, in American mythology, uh, some history and some you know, maybe super historical, whether it's uh, John Henry, the pile-driving man, or uh, Paul Bunyan and all of those kinds of things. Balaam fits into their thinking kind of in that way when they talk about him. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so, so Balaam is a known quantity to them, and let's see if we can understand what it was that they thought about him. So uh, the Second Peter passage. Okay. <clears throat> so before, right before I get to Second Peter uh, two fifteen, I'm gonna read a little bit of, uh, of what runs up to that. So people um, says in two nine, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though great, greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instincts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Fifteen forsaking the right way they have gone astray they have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness yeah and I just wanted to say that this whole thing begins actually back at chapter 2 verse 1 where Peter writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So this is in this lengthy sec section teaching about false teachers. And so Balaam is put forward as a prime example. And what was his fault? According to the scripture, what does it say? He... He's followed... <coughs> Who love gain from wrongdoing. Love gain from wrongdoing. So, you know, even in the little part we read, riches are, are, are a fairly prominent part of the discussion going back and forth between Balak and Balaam, right? So, Balaam's error here is the uh, desire to be paid for spiritual leading, spiritual teaching. Uh, there's also a certain amount of pride involved. I want to be recognized 
uh, and, I, and because I'm so good at it, I ought to be paid, right? Uh, all those things wrapped together. So false teachers who are simply, uh, I think the King James, I don't know if it's in this passage, but certainly one of them uh, talks about making merchandise of you, right? That's really a great way <laughs> to think of false teachers. Why, why, are, they, why are they in the churches uh, spreading false teaching? It's not because they desire to see people built up and strengthened in their relationship with God. It's because they are seeing what they can get to enrich themselves on the backs of these people, right? Yes. Uh, so there's, there's that situation. Uh, he loved gain from wrongdoing. <clears throat> the uh, Jude passage says what? Let me read for you, Jerry. Uh, here it is. It says, Woe to them, for they have traveled the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Jude, uh, uh, let me go back there myself. <coughs> the, uh, and here's, here's that uh, idea of blaspheming again, <coughs> speaking against God. Uh, but in Jude also, it says the, the, these people, again, talking about false teachers, uh, because that was Jude's uh, opening salvo. I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, <coughs> but I thought it necessary to write to you about contending for the faith, because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, one of the emphases in Jude, then, is the immorality that comes with false teaching. And so... Uh, Balaam is associated not only with being greedy for gain, but with uh, enticing the people to sexual immorality. Because when we go on in the story of Balaam, after he leaves, it talks about how the Moabite women came in and engaged in sexual practice with the Israelites, uh, tempted them away from their God to worship idols, and then a plague breaks out and, you know, but the the uh, scripture does not, at that point, chapter 25 of Numbers, indict Balaam for that. That comes in Deuteronomy. It's interesting. But when Moses is recapping the whole history in Deuteronomy, he says, Balaam did this to us. Balaam convinced Balak that this is the way. I can't curse them, but here's what you can do to them. You can destroy their relationship with God by destroying the sexual and moral purity that he demands. Wow. And so that's, that's where Jude is coming from when he addresses the Balaam guy. And yeah, isn't it interesting that he's lumped together with uh, Cain and Korah. 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 Despised authority, despised his brother, one and the other. Right? Wow. <clears throat> you know, and I, and I, and I think... This idea of leading people into immorality is uh, a discerning point for those of us <laughs> listening to leaders. Mm-hmm. Or is this a true leader? Is this someone who's who you know is leading in you know alignment with morality and God's plan? God's you know, a path of sanctification, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. is this someone who's manipulating? What did you say? Merchandising. Making making merchandise of the people, right? Yeah, making merchandise of the people. And we have never said it directly uh, here, but we should go on record when we're talking about sexual morality and God's plan for, for sex and uh, those sorts of issues that we believe that God has designed sex as a beautiful part of his creation to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship and that every other expression of sex outside of that man-woman covenant relationship is a sin and some of it is even called an abomination to God. We're aware in our day 
that that's a pretty controversial thing to say, but we say it not because we came up with the idea, but because that's what the scripture says. And, and Jerry, you might want to say that it's a sin because it's harmful to the people that engage that outside, outside of that marriage relationship. So that's why God hates it. It's destructive to them and, and the others around them. And there are so many reasons why. You know, when we, when we step back and think about God the creator, the designer of all things, he had a design for how things should work. Ordered desires? <laughs> Ordered desires and disordered desires, exactly. And so when we don't do things the way, when we don't use things the way they were designed to be used, stuff happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. I mean, you, you can think of a, a million situations in our everyday lives when, when we try and, I mean, how many times have you gone to a toolbox looking for the right screwdriver and you don't have the one that just fits quite right and instead you strip the head and now you've got a screw that you can't get out? Exactly. Right? So that's... That's, that's the situation we're talking about. God has designed things to go together and work together in certain ways. And when we break that design, we have endangered ourselves. We have hurt ourselves, even if we think we're having a good time. Yes. Right? And that's, that's the deceitfulness of sin, too, right? Yes, it is. That we, we think we're, we're enriching ourselves and making ourselves better. But in fact, we are driving a wedge deeper and deeper between ourselves and God. Yes. The one thing that can help us. Yeah. And, so much and, that we could say here. And, and God's grace and mercy is forgiveness through the cross. When we come to the cross with a heart of confession and repentance and a desire to turn and change our ways, he meets us there. And we're, we're given the resurrection life, the regeneration life, the new spirit and you know we can experience what what god says in a the word says in ephesians 5 it says 31 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh that's from genesis this mystery is profound Mm -hmm. so it's like the what does that mean this mystery is profound it means that what is available in the covenantal relationship of a man and wife through the sexual intimacy within that covenantal relationship is profound and mysterious right and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church that's what it says right there in ephesians 5 this mystery is profound and i'm saying that it refers to christ and the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband so you know this is uh i think it is relevant to this conversation about balaam and false prophets because God knows where our heart is and if someone is a false prophet or a divinator and they're not they're they're not trying to commune with God in order to promote God's kingdom as a prophet but they're trying to make merchandise out of it or make currency for himself in power or gold and silver or that I have the power whoever I bless is blessed whoever I curse is cursed and that ego and that pride Mm -hmm. that's that's wrong that's not a prophet of God even if somehow he can divinate and connect and through the spirit world and get information he's using it for the wrong way his heart's not in the right Mm -hmm. place and I think it's about fidelity and infidelity. Mm-hmm. All of it is, whether it's, uh, you know, Balaam or whether it's Cain or whether it's Korah. You know what I mean? That's the infidelity that God's showing us of they're putting themselves first. Right. right. So right. jealous God. Yeah, I want to back up uh, what you said earlier, Lee. Uh, we do want to say that where there's sin, uh, there's also grace. Yes, and restoration. And for any of our listeners who are caught in any kind of sexual sin, there's always the grace of God that is willing to forgive when we 
call upon the name of the Lord. When we ask uh, Jesus to be our Savior, uh, he forgives us. He gives us new life. He gives us uh, a new standing. We talked about it earlier. Lee <coughs> just talked about it again with the, the, the mystery of, of, of two becoming one. Uh, when we read Corinthians, it says we're in Christ. That's the same thing. That's the mystery, right? Right there. That the two, Christ and me, have become one. And this is God's doing, God's grace. And so we're all sinners. We're all coming from the same place of separation from God. Isaiah has this wonderful passage. Uh, is my arm too short to save? No. Your sins have separated you from me. And God's taken it upon himself in Yeshua to bridge that gap. God's taken it upon himself in Yeshua to bring us in. And all we have to do is accept his gift to say, Yes, Father, I accept the Son as the payment for my sin, the, the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice, the one where I deserve to die, he took my place. And I want that. And sin is forgiven. New life begins. The Spirit comes in. Our disordered sexual desires, whatever they may be, begin to be reordered and aligned with God's perfect plan. That's what we want for all of ourselves, for you, our listeners, is to have that relationship with Yeshua that gives you that new life, that new hope, that forgiveness, that peace, that reconciliation, that redemption, all those wonderful things that are ours in, in Messiah. So, you know, as you were talking about Balaam, um, when he is on the spot and Balak the king asks him to curse Israel uh, three different times, he takes him from place to place to place, and each time uh, Balak is, yeah, this will be the, well, I'll finally get what I want. And instead, Balaam speaks these blessings over Israel. And I was thinking, maybe the reason he speaks the word of God at those points is the same reason the donkey spoke the word <laughs> of God. <laughs> that maybe God just kind of took over his vocal cords in his brain. Because you're right, um, his heart was definitely not in the right place. He wanted the riches. He wanted desperately to be able to curse them, and God wouldn't let him. However, God didn't let him. I, you know, we, was it a donkey situation, or was it, you know, God clearly put some kind of stop on his mouth, and, you know, the, the blessing came out instead of the curse. And I suppose, I don't think the scripture says it, but I suppose he got paid for coming up with this other scheme about uh, subverting the, the Israelites through sending in the Moabite women and enticing them to sexual immorality and that separation that sexual immorality brought. Uh, Revelation says about Balaam this. <clears throat> He's this is the Lord talking to the church in Pergamum. Uh, he says... <clears throat> And, and like all of the other letters, it begins with a commendation. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So <clears throat> here's, here's what they have done right. They uh, held on to the name of Yeshua, and they did not deny faith in him. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So here very clearly the New Testament writers connect him not just with uh, being greedy for gain, but also with the teaching about sexual immorality that uh, you, you, can, you can go ahead and practice sex any way you want. Now, this is part of uh, some, some philosophical underpinnings that were current uh, in that time. Uh, the Greek understanding that the body is so separate from the spirit that the body doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want with the body because it won't touch your spirit, right? So that that is a direct contradiction 
of God's teaching about who we are as an integrated people, both body, soul, and spirit, or all body, soul, and spirit, that each part is, 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 is integrally related to the other parts, and you can't separate them. With, you, you, you can't have one part that doesn't affect the other part. Right? And so this was the teaching that was going on in some of the churches then that uh, it doesn't matter what I do with my body, I can do anything because it won't affect my salvation, my relation with Jesus, uh, however you want to phrase that. So both of those things are, are connected here, the, the idolatry piece, which is connected then to sexual immorality, and, and that's throughout uh, the scripture from, from uh, the beginning that uh, idolatry ultimately is is devolves to sexual immorality again you read you read Romans chapter 1 and how they rejected the wisdom of God and they tr traded in the creator for the creation and first they were worshiping these things and those things and then they were practicing various sexual practices that were an abomination to God it's all of a piece it's all and you know, let's let's push it back. It's it's what Satan is designed to subvert God's will, to subvert God's plan, to subvert God's way in the world. What can I do? I can hold out this shiny thing, make it look really, really great, and people people will flock to it and they'll forget God, right? That's the enemy's ways. So, I'm not sure uh, what you want to say that's left about Balaam uh, we could uh, I think it's it's useful though at least to see some things uh, when we look at the specific prophecies the blessings that he gave if we go back to uh, Numbers chapter 23 um, remember when Balak sent for for Balaam he said that Balaam had the power to, that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed in the first uh, oracle, uh, prophecy of uh, Balaam, uh, he stands up and he says in verse 7, uh, from Aram, that is from a place that we would associate today with Syria, uh, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed. How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? So wherever that's coming from, uh, directly from God or somewhere in Balaam's brain, uh, he understands that he cannot overrule God. The blessing of God is on the people of Israel because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenant that he initiated with them. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, right? And so when I read this, it reminds me of Romans chapter 8, uh, where we stand as the children of God. And when people try to curse us or subvert us, it says in, in, in Romans there, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. Jesus doesn't condemn us. God doesn't condemn us. And so we are like the Israelites in this case. There is no curse that can be put upon us because God has blessed us. Isn't that yes. outstanding? That's outstanding. <laughs> that is outstanding. Um, he talks about in the end of uh, the first oracle, who can count the dust of Jacob and number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. That is the end of Israel is going to be upright and upstanding with God. And so we all should desire that kind of an end, uh, going out of this world in right relationship with the God who made us. There's a theme throughout the four oracles then about how Israel will come to be the dominant nation. And it appears here, uh, from the top of the crags I see him, that is Israel, from the hills I behold him, a people dwelling alone, not counting itself among the nations. 
Okay, so when the nations are numbered in, back in Genesis, the seventy nations, Israel is not there. Israel comes next with the calling of Abraham. Correct. So they are not numbered among the nations, but they are being called out from all of the peoples of the earth to be a light of God to the nations. And nations in Hebrew is the goyim, and that is translated repeatedly as Gentiles. So Jews were called out as a light to the Gentiles. Lee, you look like you got something you want to say. Um, are we talking about the second oracle? We're about to get there. Go. Oh, okay. So uh, in the second oracle... Um, you know, again, Balak saying, come on, curse these, <laughs> these uh, Israelites, you know. Here, move a little bit. You'll only see some of them. And, and Balaam uh, says, says, rise, Balak, and here, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. Here's the famous or the profound words God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it behold I received a command to bless he has blessed and I cannot revoke it isn't that great what I like about that is uh I think I told you, you know, I, I memorized this verse a long time ago without the context. And so it's, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. But when you put it in the context here, it's Balak says, uh, okay, I didn't get what I wanted that time. But if I stand you over here, maybe God will think differently. <laughs> no, God is not a man that he should lie. No, I've blessed them. They're blessed. Nothing you can say or do, nothing, no way you can entreat me, no offering you can bring, nothing is going to change this word. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he will just change his mind. You know. And why do we change our minds? A greater enticement, right? Something right. better comes along. God's not like that. No. God's not like that. So, so, you know, this is where I think the controversy sort of comes in and that is Balaam these words come from Balaam right so right. this sounds like a, an oracle who is speaking truth about God this is truth about God so you know what's up how can Balaam speak this profound truth about God and still you know be pursuing wealth, fame, honor, you know, status, you know, and and I and I think it's about his pride and and it's about more of him less of God and and mm -hmm. I and I I think about um Bishop Ezekiel Williams gave this sermon about Samson. He was talking about how Samson was anointed with this incredible physical strength, but had this immorality in his life, right? This lossful immorality. And what he, what Bishop Williams said is he had this external anointing, but it didn't work on him on the inside and change who he was on the inside and change his heart and in a way I see this about Balaam he had this anointing of intuition divination intuition but it really didn't change him he could divinate what you know God said and God said you can only say what I give you the words to say but it didn't change his heart and who he was on the inside. And this goes back to the whole false prophet yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. It's very yeah. helpful. Yeah. yeah. That there's there's external pressure that God exerts. And uh, whether it gets into the heart or not is, is the big question. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Yeshua, mm -hmm. to change this heart. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, quite...
quite a bit of uh, interesting information left with uh, with Balaam. I do want to f uh, look at the last oracle real quickly because these are some very, very famous uh, verses. Uh, in chapter 24, he writes this, or he says this to, to Balak, uh, the final discourse about Israel. He says, <coughs> This is the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Which is a pretty strong word about where he says he's getting his information from, however we try to understand it or fail to. But here's what he says about the Almighty, verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, which is another name for Edom. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. This is a messianic prophecy. This is looking forward to the one who will come and establish righteousness, who will sort out the nations, who will destroy the ones that need destroying. Uh, the sheep on one side and the goats on the other is how Jesus described it in the end. But the star shall come, a scepter, that is the ruling rod of the king. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, crushing the forehead of Moab. Um, I'm always drawn to Psalm 2 that talks about the Lord and his anointed and why do the nations rage against him. And right now we are in the time of grace when the Messiah has appeared, the Lord's anointed has come not to condemn the world but to save the world. But Psalm 2 says that after he's written, God says to him, come sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And he shall come, it says at that time, with a rod of iron to judge the nations. So we invite you right now. This is the time of grace. This is the year of the Lord's favor. This is when forgiveness and invitation is flowing from the Father. It won't always. Jesus is coming back. He is. He's coming back to uh, fetch his own, to bring them where he is, but he's also coming back to judge the living and the dead, it says. And so it's going to be a fearful day if you have not, as Paul puts it, uh, confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart because the judgment of God will fall. But right now, the judgment of God for your sin has fallen on Jesus. The judgment of God for my sin has fallen on Jesus. And all we need to do is accept him as our Savior, to really understand Him who came, the Son of God, and to commit our lives to Him, to say, we're going to follow you. We've followed the ideas of the world. We've followed false teachers. We've been uh, like Balaam ourselves, perhaps, looking for greedy for gain. But we want to stop following false teachers. We want to stop following the false dictates of our own thinking and uh, misconceptions and disordered desires and Lord Jesus we want to follow you instead and when we make that commitment God says you're my child you're in Christ and though you didn't know it you were elect before the foundation of the world that God chose you to be in his son so I just want to uh, pray and if this is your prayer please pray along with us father in heaven I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he came to save me from my sins. And I ask you now to cleanse me from my sins through the blood of Jesus. I thank you that in Jesus I am clean. In Jesus I am made your son or your daughter. In Jesus. I have eternal life and I thank you and I ask you Holy Spirit as you come into my life 
that you will help me to be a good and true follower of Jesus all my days. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If that was a sincere prayer for you, I would just say, hallelujah, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. We are One New Man Ministries, and it is our desire that all of you who are listening might be joined into the body of Messiah as One New Man, whoever you are, Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Jesus' invitation is to all. And so we thank you for joining us today, and we'll be back with you next week. Until then, God be with you.